the podcast with a little uh, bad information. One of a uh, little lumped up um, fan is uh, passed away. Yeah, uh, we're talking about Jack Newmark, uh, a regular at International Bar, Hard Swallow, 7B, Doc Holidays, you know, Coyote when it was open. Uh, he used to go to Iron Horse when that was open too. Uh, he, he was a regular and uh, he passed of a heart attack it seems and uh, yeah. you know, I'm I, I'm sad about it. I really am. Yeah. So um, I might put this episode up a little quicker the other episode just because it's like you know what a lot of people don't know. Um, and just like his life, fucking Curtis Mayfield had a tragic life too. Yeah. Uh, today's podcast is about Curtis Mayfield, and uh, I guess we should dedicate it to Jack, right? We dedicate it to Jack. Not- and um, is this episode? Um, I think this is episode one one four, right? You know, a little a little thing about jack is is he was a you know good guy quiet guy never never said a bad thing about anybody and you know it's just sad that when someone that was such a regular somebody that you saw almost every time you would were down there in any of those places and then now he's gone and you know it's just that's tough man you know yeah before i came here i told nick about it because him and nick were arguing about something but they're both mets fan and they were arguing about um politics because they once once probably once, politics but yeah. then they started talking and i go what guys are pain to the ass he's always talking about politics i was talking about jack but jack always brought up politics yeah. and there was days i do i can't talk to you i can't do this right now and but at the end of the day dude if you had your last dollar that guy will give you the shirt off his back yeah yeah he that's, was that's he was the that kind of guy, guy he was you know friendly yeah. nice yeah. and um he'll be missed because he was actually, he was a, I hate to say that, as much of a pain of the ass he was, he was a good guy. You know, yeah, I mean, because, you know, you knew deep down he had a good, he was a harmless guy, and, uh, you know, my wife Sandy liked him, and that's always a good gauge on, on the quality of a person. If, if you could always have him. a good conversation uh, with him, and uh, you know what, yeah. um, this episode is dedicated to him. Yeah. So, Curtis Mayfield, the great Curtis Mayfield. Do you want to start talking um, about so, him now? Yeah. That, uh, you know what? This guy this guy did so much for the music industry. And um, so, this is um, Rock Show episode 118. So, this guy was uh, – this guy was pretty – this guy wrote a lot about protests, anti-government. He wrote about hustling in the streets. Um he was right. like a guy that was, he was a unique guy and he started from the rough streets in Chicago, you know? And if, yeah, I mean, he, you know, he grew, he grew up in the, in the, in the projects. And I Chicago. think him, and he actually okay. started as a gospel singer and then he yes. met Jerry yes. Butler and these guys started like some weird kind of relationship. Well, yeah, um, he wrote for Jerry Butler. Yeah, we'll get into that, uh, and and you know, gave him a couple of hit songs. Like, let me tell you, he wrote for several. Well, people. you compare, he's like 
this guy was like Marvin Marvin Gaye before Marvin Gaye was Marvin Gaye. He was he was like five years ahead. Yeah, of Yeah, he was like, and he knew okay. what yeah. to pick. Uh, yeah. And dude, from the Butcher Man, how great is that song? Oh yeah, well we'll talk about. Superfly, what, but remember you know, the first, the, you know that that's the pinnacle of his career. I gotta career, tell you, right? the first thing, the first rock show we did, I quoted um, the Pusher Man. Is the seventy? The Pusher Man is playing in the background, and we're talking about rock oh, yeah, shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I remember and, that. Um, <laughs> that's the way we started the rock show, and now we're one one eight, and that's the way we started. We went that far, and we and, and, and you know what? I was very shocked when you pick um. Curtis Mayfield, because I thought he should have been in Black History, but you know what? It's not about Black History. It's not about nothing. He's just another person. No, no he, 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 you know, of course he's yeah, a, he was a he was a guy that stand yeah. up for civil rights too. Oh, he did. I mean, definitely, he was the voice of a of a generation for civil rights and for you know Black Pride in the sixties and seventies, and rightfully so. I mean, he was writing songs that were. You know, music that was never written before, socially conscious stuff that was being discussed in his songs. But he did it very. I smart. mean, you listen to. Oh, he 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 did it in a way that you, you know it appealed to everybody to listen to. Yeah, his but words. you would never think it. And you know, you know what's funny? Him and uh, Jerry Butter. There was many times they could have stayed in a hotel room and they slept in the car. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that happened, but. uh you know, he 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 was a a, a complicated guy. Yeah. Uh, I read a great book about him called "Traveling Soul," that was written by his son Todd Mayfield. Uh, he had like ten kids all together wow. with like different women and stuff. But uh, great book. He talked about you know how he was and and you know he had a hard life and a uh, rough life. He, but he, he made a, he made a decision. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, he ma- he made a decision in his career that he was going to sing about this kind of stuff when not too many people were singing about this, nah. you know, especially black artists, you know, yeah, you know, he, he, uh, Marvin Gaye's what went on, you know, came out in like 72, but already, you know, Curtis had made music that was street conscious and everything by that time. All right, Mike. So what so, you got for me today with the great, um, Curtis Mayfield, what what kind of information? Where what, what are we touching today? A uh, little bit of everything. Now he was born Curtis Lee Mayfield on June third, nineteen forty-two, in the Cook County Hospital in Chicago. Was that because uh, Robert Lee? He's was... a descendant for Robert Lee Parker. <laughs> I don't know. Is he? <laughs> <laughs> now he was actually the son of Marion Washington and Kenneth Mayfield. Okay. Now, he was one of five children. Uh, his dad split, left the family when he was five years old. And during that time afterwards, he lived in different housing projects around Chicago, but then settled into the uh, Cabrini greenhouses in yeah. Chicago, which is kind of kind of south side, almost north side of Chicago on the line. It's not a good now, neighborhood. Uh, no, no, it's not. Um, now, he was interested, you mentioned this, in gospel music at a young age, okay? And he sang at his aunt's church, which was called the Northern Jubilee Gospel Singers. He sang with them at his aunt's church when he was seven years old. He had a great voice. Uh, he tended to have a falsetto kind of voice, a high voice. 
but and he sang that way his his whole career. He received his first guitar when he was ten years old, and he taught himself how to play it. Yeah. Uh, and supposedly, story goes that he loved his guitar so much that he actually used to sleep with it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So when he was fourteen, but Mike, he was a pretty good guitarist. Believe it or not. He was pretty good. Oh, no, no. He was he was a very very yeah, he was very good. Uh he's not really thought of in that way, but he was a very good guitarist and he taught himself how to play. He well, he, he learned know, playing the... left handed. Yes, he did. Which he is did. crazy. So when he tuned it up, he had a, he loved the he It's it's the opposite. Yeah, he loved the you, guitar. You tuned, like you... he had a yeah, like you say, he had a straight fascination with his guitar. Yeah, and he was influenced by Everything from Muddy Waters to Spanish guitarist Andre Segovia. He's a okay. great. He's a, you want so to talk he, about he, a guy? That guy's got another history. Oh, Muddy Waters. We're going to talk about him. No, so. uh, I mean uh, Sedan. That fucking his. That that guy was strange, motherfucker. Too. He was a strange bird. Have you ever seen? Look him. Oh, Sego, Sego, Segovia. Yeah, look him up. You talk about? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know who he is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a whole other story. Oh, the fucking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now he. He started uh started the band when he was fourteen called the Alpha Tones. Okay, and it was kinda something that based on Muddy Waters bluesy kind of thing. Now later in fifty six, nineteen fifty six, he joined his high school friend Jerry Butler's group called the Roosters. Yeah. Uh and that was Butler, Mayfield. There was two brothers named Arthur and Richard Brooks in that band. And Curtis uh, really was like the main writer and composer for, for songs for that band. And that band would morph into the Impressions, which is what he was first known yeah. for, the Impressions. Now, Jerry Butler still was the lead singer, and he had a, a, a hit with the band, but the, song, uh, the songs For Your Precious Love and Come Back, My Love, yeah. okay, were, were, writ- were written by Mayfield for Jerry Butler. And then after that, Butler left the band. Yeah. Okay. Let me ask, Mayfield did Jerry Butler actually, become yeah. like a mayor? That I don't There's know. one of these did, guys did that went into politics that, that was with Curtis Mayfield. I don't recall that. That well, you got me. You gotta look that up. I didn't I didn't I didn't know that. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know about any connection with Butler getting into politics, but I could be wrong. I'm not sure. Um, now, when Butler left, Mayfield left with him for a little while, and he wrote Butler's next hit called He Will Break Your Heart. But then he would return back to the Impressions, and they would get signed to ABC Records, and they were working with the label's Chicago-based producer, Johnny Pate. Johnny Pate was like a, a producer, an arranger. He was a manager. He was a A&R guy, meaning artists and repertoire for, you know, ABC. He was a little bit of everything. And he would be very important going down the line for, you know, the rest of a good, a good portion of the rest of uh, Mayfield's career. He was always involved. Uh, in fact, I watched uh, Superfly last night just to get ready for the show today. And uh, he's even mentioned in the credits of the film. Okay, he gets a credit for, you know, arranging the music, producing the music. Now, a guy named Fred Cash would replace Jerry Butler. Uh, Cash was in the Roosters once before 
So the Roosters morphed into the impressions. He was from the Roosters days, and he came back for, for a while. Uh, Mayfield became the lead singer. And doing most of the writing for the band, he, he started with a song called Gypsy Woman, and it became a top 20 pop hit. Uh, their next hit was the song Amen that went top 10. That was like an old gospel song that they updated. Okay, it has like a, like a marching band sound yeah. at the beginning, and they start singing Amen. Uh, that actually went top 10. Uh, it did well because it appeared on the soundtrack in 1963 for the film The Lilies of the Field, which starred Sidney Poitier. Hey, you want to hear so something fact- strange? So Jerry Butler became a commissioner for Cook Country, uh, Illinois, from 1985 County? to 2010. So he was, uh, he was a Democrat. He was on the board. He's the chairman of health and health and hospital committee as vice president of the chair. So he was working as some weird politician. He was a Democrat. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. So he worked in the Cook County. How fucking weird is that? This guy from going to a singer with this guy becomes that. It's like holy shit. Well, you know who else? You know who else became a politician is Al Green. Al Green for real? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's down. I believe down south. I think he's a. Uh, I forget where it is. If it's like Mississippi or something like that, he's a he's a Democrat. <laughs> funny, dude. He's been in Congress. He's been in Congress for wow. a while. The guy that sings "Let Let's Stay Together." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Are you <laughs> Crazy, shitting right? me? I gotta look that up because I'm yeah. amazed by that. Look it up. Look it up. Look it up. <laughs> All right. So let's get back to what you were saying. Now, now uh, that Sidney Poitier movie helped put that song Amen in the top 10. But by the mid to the late 60s, uh, the impressions would hit the height of their popularity. They would be really big. Uh, Mayfield was writing all the songs. Uh, the hit Keep On Pushing, People Get Ready, It's All Right. They were all top 10 hits. Uh, and then there was a top 20 hits, Talking About My Baby and Woman Got Soul. Okay. Now, you know, I, I always kind of like, you know, I love Motown music. Yeah. Okay. We, we've talked about the temptations and all that stuff, but the impressions were, you know, not to be funny, but they made an impression on me. Okay. Because they, they were kind of different than all those other black acts. Uh, there was just something about them. I, I, I never could put my finger on it. What it is that was different. Uh, they were similar to the temptations, but they played, instruments where the temps didn't always do that. Um, but just something in, in Mayfield's writing, his voice, uh, it just, I don't know, it just made, it stood out. It stood out with all those other bands. And they weren't part of Motown. They were part of Chicago. Okay, so it was a little different. 68, uh, Curtis and their manager, Eddie Thomas, started a label called Curtis. And the impressions recorded for that new label, uh, the hit Fool for You, a song called This Is My Country, Choice of Colors, Check Out Your Mind. Um, again, you know, just songs in there too. Okay. Uh, Mayfield had written much. He really, at that point, by, by 68, he wrote a lot of the soundtrack of the civil rights movement of the 60s. And his music always had a socially conscious level to it. Uh, he was the voice of Black Pride, uh, along with James Brown and, and Sly Stone. Okay, those those two guys were writing songs similar to that. 
you know, James Brown had I'm black and I'm proud, you know, great, great tune. Um, in late 1967, he would come out with the track We're a Winner with the Impressions. And it was the last major hit that they had on ABC Records. And it became an anthem for the Black Pride movement. Yep. Uh, a couple of years later in 1970, he would leave the Impressions. That would pretty much be the end of them. And began a solo career on his own. Uh, Kurt Tom Records released many of Mayfield's 70s records, as well as records by the Impressions from earlier before that. Now, other acts on the label was uh, Leroy Hudson, the Five Stair Steps, the Staple Singers, the Notations, and Gene Chandler. They all worked with Mayfield at some point in the 60s, um, and but they also had short stays on the Kirk Tom record label. So he was kind of like helping a lot of people, people that helped him on the way up. He would sign them and back and forth. And, he, you know, he was handling everybody. Uh, a lot of these acts ended up being produced by him, too. So he really had his hand in a lot of things going on in, in R&B in the late 60s, early 70s yeah. with Kirk Tom Records. I mean, he, he was really like, you know, like a Phil Spector. You know what I mean? We, we talked about Phil a lot in the last few episodes and uh he kind of was like that he hand and, and all that soul music you know what i mean like you know what's funny so about him? mayfield's first solo album yeah Mike, you know Curtis, what you know what's funny about was this released guy? in 1970 it went top 20 hello rob i hello? think I, yeah i think i lost you there for a second okay Mike, you know what I'm saying? It's weird that this guy was a he was a songwriter. Like he wrote so many songs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, like I said, he had his hand in writing his own music and others. It's amazing. How okay. the hell do you yeah. do that? This guy was like full blown. He was dri driven, yeah. driven, and and a lot of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of late nights. Okay, recording and writing and and and. You know, and uh, it's it, the guy was the guy was driven to make great music. But Mike, think about uh, how many hit songs he had. It was like hit after hit. Like every song that you, if you listen to him, every song is like a hit to me. It's a song that you will know, and it's all written by this one guy. Yeah, no, I mean it, it, it's it's really amazing. Uh, and again, getting back to the book that I read called Traveling Soul. If you really want to, yeah, that's a great book to read. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Uh, you know, he was a complicated, he wasn't a happy guy from what, um, kind of like, you know, never satisfied really in what he, what he had accomplished, but also proud at the same time. You know, he was, he was like, I, I got myself up and out of poverty and I did it and, you know, and he did, you know, it's all true. Um, you know, he, he, he took what he could do and he made a life out of it. And that's really all we can do as people, right? Yeah, that's amazing. You know, now, um, the first track off of Curtis's solo album called Curtis that came out in 1970 is one of my favorite songs of all time. It's called Don't Worry. If there's hell below, we're all going to go. <laughs> okay. Great song. And it just starts off with... Uh, well, I don't want to offend anybody, but the, you know, the first the first word that he says in that song is is the N word. 
And he's talking about, you know, everybody. He mentions all people by race in the beginning of this song. And they uh, talk about, you know, doesn't matter. If there's hell below, we're all going to go, you know. And then anybody else, basically. Okay. And it's a great song. They used it in the deuce. Remember in the first season? Yes. Yes, they did. They used it in the theme song for the first season. Yeah. That, was, that was good. Uh Another track on there was was Move On Up. Okay, and that was that was a big hit off that album. Uh in 71, he released an album called Roots. It was his second solo album, and it's considered a classic of 70s soul music. And I think it's one of his best works. It got to number six um on the R and B charts, and it was based on tracks like Get Down, Keep On Keeping On, and We Gotta Have Peace. Uh, great track on there called Beautiful Brother of Mine. I mean, th- this is just like, you know, uh, it, 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 this kind of music just transcends so many things. You know, and he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as well as the, you know, R&B stuff he's recognized. So he's, he's, he's recognized on both sides. And I think that that's great. I think he deserves that. Uh, the commercial and critical peak of Mayfield's career would then happen in 1972. Okay. Are you with me, Rob? Yeah. 1972. Rob. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. I lost you again, man. I think it's a lot of traffic today with the internet. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. It seems like it's going in and out, but uh, I think we're okay. Right. We're okay. Yeah. We're yeah good. Okay. So um, I was saying the commercial and critical peak of his career would happen in 1972. And that's the, Soundtrack to the black exploitation movie Superfly. Yep. Now, what's your thoughts of this movie, Rob? It's a fantastic movie. It's it's amazing. I think it's probably between that and and I, I you know what I, I'm gonna I'm just gonna say it. I think it is the best black exploitation movie. Uh, Shaft would be a close second. You know, there's but big... you want to hear? They want him to do a certain song to um like to um like to um. Like, like to make these guys superhero, like this guy, he did a very different song about that this shit is wrong. Oh, yeah, so no, no, what, I, I know exactly song. what you're trying to say. You know, a lot of black exploitation films, I'm a big fan of the genre. Um, yeah. It, you know, they glorify a life of crime. Okay. Yes. And kind of like, you know, ghetto street shit. They, they, they glorify it. And Superfly does it too. Okay. But yeah. but the music to Superfly, if you listen to what's being played, it does, and, and it's through the through the whole movie. It's it count it counteracts that because songs like Push a Man, yeah, okay. <laughs> now you know you listen to it, and he's he's basically saying like this this is a bad thing, okay. This is not a good thing. It's not glorifying the Push a Man. He's talking about how fucking life sometimes, you know pushes you in that direction okay and you know in the ghetto if you're if you're living that kind of life and uh you know so so it's a nice counteraction to what you're seeing in the film which is kind of a you know somewhat glorification no there's a good story behind it because the guy priest he really wants to get out of the business yeah he just wants to do one last big score you know sell a bunch of kilos of cocaine so he has get, enough money to to have enough money to make a million away. bucks and yeah. and get out. 
but he's he's stopped by corrupt cops, okay, uh, friends of his that he can't trust anymore, okay, and you know other bullshit that happens, and he eventually. This girl that he sees is seeing helped him out, and he gets away from the guys that that are trying to kill him, basically. Okay, so it's a it's a cool story, hour and a half movie. You know, before you know it, it's a great it's a great story. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. and this soundtrack was so popular it sold twelve million copies. Wow. That's a lot of people buying a, a, a movie from a, you know a soundtrack for a black exploitation movie. Um, Freddy's dead. Another Freddy's song. dead. Okay. Freddy's dead. Right now, that's a song about a junkie being forced to push dope because he owes the dealer money. Yeah. So you know, and that's kind of what happens in the film. Uh, Priest forces Freddy, Fat Freddy, okay, to go and do some. You know, he, they shake somebody down from all he owes him money all right but freddie ends up dead soon so you know that's how you get the song now curtis it's a great song yeah now curtis asked uh was asked one time about that glorification of 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 the ghetto life and uh he basically said you know he didn't deny it okay he said if you want to clean up these films clean up the streets okay and that that's true. I mean, they, a lot of those films were really just depicting what the hell was going on. It was a little bit of glorification, but it was still going on. You know, yeah, it was it was going on. It was it was out of hand. I mean, you know, and uh, not to get off topic, but you know, I, I I see it slipping back a little bit in those. You know, you see things now that you haven't seen in a long time, right? You see, do you see back the fucking heroin addicts? Yeah, we were seeing that again. You know. But uh, along with Marvin Gaye's What's Going On and, and Stevie Wonder's Inner Visions, that album, uh, uh, Superfly ushered in a new kind of like socially conscious, funky style, popular soul music. Uh, they, they got a nickname for Curtis after that came out. It was called The Gentle Genius, they used to call him. And uh, the, the two singles actually, which were Freddie's Dead and, and the title track, Superfly, ended up selling over 1 million copies and they went gold. Okay, so wow. he was given gold discs for both of those songs. But there were really songs that were ahead of their time, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that same year, Marvin Gaye had come out with What's Going On. Right? We did a you know, great show about Marvin Gaye a couple of months ago. Um, and, you know, if you remember, that was something that Motown was like almost afraid to put out. Okay. Because they were worried that, you know, this kind of thing would would alienate the 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 Motown audience. But it didn't. Okay. Superfly, he didn't have to worry about that too much because, you know, his own label was putting it out. So he didn't have that problem. Okay. But you know, it was a risk. I mean he was you know, and, and having your own label allows you to have a lot more creative control over your music. We've talked about that with a lot of bands. Yeah. Uh, so that, that helped him in that way. Cause I don't know if that could have come out on a major label. They would have had a problem with it probably, you know, now because of the success of Superfly, 
Curtis was asked to write additional soundtracks for people. Um, he would comply with that and write and produce other acts for that purpose. He wrote the soundtrack to the film Claudine that came out in 1974 with James Earl Jones. And I think Diane Abbott is in that. Uh, Gladys Knight and the Pips did the, did the soundtrack and Curtis yeah. wrote, Curtis wrote it. All right. Uh, he also wrote for Aretha Franklin in the 1976 film Sparkle. And uh, if anybody watched the Aretha Franklin thing, I think it was on was it HBO or Netflix, I forget. Uh, there's like an actual scene in there, a couple of scenes with somebody depicting Curtis and, and Aretha. Uh, Aretha said she couldn't do the film, and then they got her sister to do it. And then all of a sudden she could do it. And it was a big, big fight happened with that. But uh, you, you do get to see someone playing Curtis Mayfield in that, in that movie. Um, pretty <laughs> yeah. cool. Yeah. Now he also wrote for the staple singers for the soundtrack of the 1975 film. Let's do it again. And he yeah. also teamed up with Mavis staples exclusively on the 77 soundtrack of the movie. The film was part of a trilogy that starred Bill Cosby and Sidney Poitier, and Poitier actually directed this movie. Now, going back to 73, a little bit after, anti-war film, film uh, album, excuse me, called Back to the World. Yeah, yeah, back to the world. That's what yeah. they call it. And, Vietnam, back right, to the world. Right. And, and, and I really like this album. I think this is one of his best albums. Uh, the, the title track, Back to the World, is great. Um, it, it's all about a guy trying to get back into society, okay, after coming back from the war. Um, I think they used a song, if I remember for, from that album, for Dead Presidents. Was there something from that album on Dead Presidents? That move? I didn't mind yeah. it, but Dead President, that was a very. That had um, a great soundtrack. That had a, yeah. That had a great yeah, soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of criticized the Vietnam War. The album criticized America's involvement in wars around the world. Uh, it was, he was saying some strong stuff on this album. You have to really listen to it, it's a very deep album. Uh, it's nothing, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's probably what it is about Curtis is his music is very deep. Uh, it's very thoughtful, well thought through clever lyrics. Uh, you know, and I think that's what makes him stand out so much. Now that album went to number one on the R and B charts and it made it to number 16 on billboard back to the world. That's one that everybody should check out. By 77, he had a hit with a, a funk disco song called Doodoo Wap is Strong in here. And it was from the soundtrack to the play Short Eyes. Um, he also released the studio album Never Say You Can't Survive in 77, followed by Do It All Night in 78. Now, both of these really didn't do that well commercially, um, not as much as previous records. In 1980... Uh, he decided to move to Atlanta with his family and he basically was kind of slowing down a bit. He, he closed down his recording operation in Chicago. The label Kurt Tom he, prior two years to that really kind of was reducing 
the amount of artists that they represented and, and they were kind of slowing down. He would still tour and record, you know, occasionally, but, you know, a lot of things Mayfield at that point in, in 1980, a lot of people were asking to use his, his music in movies and things like that. So he was definitely making some coin, you know, with that kind of thing. Now, in August 13th, 1990, do you remember what happened that day to him? Because that would really be the end. Um, he became paralyzed from the neck down after stage lights fell on him at an outdoor concert in Prospect Park in Brooklyn. Uh, I remember when this happened. It was it was on the news that night. Uh, if I remember right, I think it was a free show, okay, in Brooklyn, um, the Wingate side of the park, this where the stage is, and there was a big storm that just kind of showed up out of nowhere. Um, I think they had gotten some reports during the day that there would be some rain. But they went ahead with the show. And he was on stage performing and a big gust of wind. And if you know Prospect Park, it's obviously it's very open. Okay. Oh, it's tremendously open. Yeah. And and uh, you know, it was something like a you know, an eighty, ninety mile per hour gust of wind that just went across the stage and it knocked down the stage lighting and it fell on him. Mike, what are the chances of that? That's such a freak accident. It is such a freak accident. And, and he was just testing, like he was testing to get his band ready for yeah. the sound check. And yeah. It's insane. It's fucking insane. Uh, I don't know if he was in his sound check or he was actually playing. It might have just been the sound check. No, but, yeah, he was just checking. It was yeah. the sound check. And he's underneath with this gust of wind come and the lighting and shit falls on him. And the next thing he knows, he's in the hospital. Yeah, I mean, it, it paralyzed him. From the you know from the from the waist down basically, uh, yeah. But I don't think he could use his arms either. Um. Yeah, I guess I, I don't know if he had if it was from the neck down or from the waist down. He uh, he basically couldn't play guitar anymore. Okay, uh, but he would still write music and he still could sing. And he made an album about six years later in 1996 called New World Order. And it came out in 96 and it was written entirely by him. And the way they did it was he kind of directed the recording of it, okay, to people on how to do it. And then he sang his vocals a little bit at his back. And when you listen to that album, it's, you know, you can't really tell. I couldn't. You know, it sounded almost like he was singing. But, yeah. uh, you know, but it was done in like, short segments where he sang a little bit and I guess he would rest sang a little bit more I guess he would rest again and yeah didn't it, like his clavicle get busted too didn't what didn't like his clavicle get busted too in the accident his I'm sorry his what his clavicle oh was that your uh was that your collarbone what is that like your yeah like your, yeah like your collarbone or your voice or you know so he could have sing for a long time because he would like be out of breath. Yeah, uh, right. I mean, he he, um, you know, when you get paralyzed like that, it 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 isn't just like you know, okay, I can't walk, and then everything else is okay. You know, other things start to break down. So he, you know, he was really confined to a wheelchair. When you're confined to a wheelchair, and you develop 
all kinds of complications. And I think he, he, he would be out of breath, you know, like you can't get your breath as easily when you're paralyzed like that. That's why if you remember like Christopher Reeve, you know, yeah. Remember how he kind of looked like he was always gasping for breath. I think he used to have oxygen with him too. Yeah, they they pretty much had the same accent, but in different ways. You know that. Well, Reeve fell off a horse, yeah, and he and he broke his neck yeah. basically, or his, his back somehow. But yeah, but you know, tragic. Uh, you know, the, the the fucking injury didn't kill him. It's shocking what killed May Mayfield. Diabetes. Diabetes. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, you know, I think what was happening through the nineties is is is. They, you know, people were recognizing that it was important to, you know, respect him and show the respect while he was still alive. So the Grammys gave him a, a Lifetime Achievement Award in 1994. And then in 1999, yeah. he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He couldn't attend that ceremony because a, a year prior, he actually had his right leg amputated due to diabetes that he had developed. Uh, but think about it. He's paralyzed and with diabetes, you need to work out. He couldn't work out. No. What could he do? You know, he was paralyzed. You know? And, yeah. Yeah, and he had type 2 diabetes, actually. And type 2, yeah. you don't usually die from. No, nah, you can live with it for a little, like, like James, James Overmose is, so, is with it. There's a lot of people that can live with it. You just gotta take care of it, you know. You gotta, but he probably was to the point he was in the wheelchair, he couldn't move, and they were feeding him wherever they wanted to feed him. Yeah, and also this was, you know, twenty five years ago. They know more about it now than they yeah. than they did then. Um, he would. Su- you want to hear? Yeah. You know what? You want to hear something interesting about him? You know that he always owned his own music. Mike. Yep, lost Hello? you there. Go ahead. Repeat that. Oh, my, you know that he always owned his own yes. music? You know how he how he copyrighted his music? So he would put the he would put a letter about the song and he would ship it out to his address yeah. and they get it back copyrighted. That, that right. A lot you mail it to yourself, okay? And that was the way to copyright it. Uh Lou Reed used to do that too, okay? Uh it's funny because um when when Laurie Anderson, Lou Reed's wife, uh, after after he died, she went through an office that he had in Manhattan somewhere that he kept for many years, a small office. And there was there was all these envelopes going back to the sixties of stuff that he mailed to himself on cassette. Okay, like he would record a song on cassette and mail it to himself to copyright it. So it turns out that there's like there was a ton of music that was never released that was just sitting in these envelopes. And actually, it, it, it happened with Curtis as well. There is a lot of Curtis Mayfield stuff that's never been released. And uh, hopefully it does someday come out. A lot of music has been used sitting in a can, and somebody should put it out. They should come out with like a really comprehensive boxing put out some of the solo albums but uh on on you know like you know expanded versions or whatever um there's a great live album of his too that came out in the early 70s i forget the name of it it's 
I think it's just Curtis Live, something like that. Um, and he does like I think it's mostly like three albums. Um, but you know, as far as I know, with those Rhino releases, there wasn't a lot of like bonus tracks and things like that. You know, so they somebody should put that stuff out because it's it, I'm sure it's good. It's got to have some good material in there. We never heard it. <laughs> You know, yeah, it was great stuff. Yeah. He put a lot of stuff together, and dude, the guy was so paranoid that he was going to lose his music that he was mailing his shit to himself. <laughs> that was the way people copyrighted. You could still do that. It's it's yeah. not you know it's not illegal. It actually counts. Now I, let me tell you how you think I copyrighted get lumped up. I sent an envelope to myself. The mailman put it in my thing. That, and now boom, you copy because my 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 your address. My lawyer, my lawyer, my accountant told me that's the way you do yeah. it. Yeah, and your address is right there. The, there's a date when it's you know uh, postmarked. Okay, so that's that's it. You know, you and if anyone comes out with getting lumped up, you beat them to it. Yeah. <laughs> now, December twenty sixth, nineteen ninety nine, of his complications from diabetes in the North Fulton Regional Hospital in Roswell, Georgia. Okay, he had you know relocated down to that area. Um, he survived by his second wife, which is Althea Mayfield. His mother was still alive. Uh, ten children he had. He had two sisters, a brother, and seven grandchildren. It's crazy. Crazy family. Big family. Um, in 2017, though, there was some news. Because Lionel Richie was reported to be in talks with Althea Mayfield about a biopic. On Curtis, wow! Looks like we may have that someday. That would be very. I wonder who could play him. There's a few people I think that could play him very well. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. So yeah, that's all I got today, Rob. You know, I got to. You know, every, everybody's you know got to. Everybody's got to go out and you know buy some Curtis records and listen to them. Do it, and the problem is, if you bought a Curtis record or any of the any of the other records, you you'll be like, oh my god, I know every single song. People don't realize that how many songs he wrote that were just like, oh my god, I know this song. One thing I want to mention too is, um, you know, his influence went a long way. Okay, now you yeah. know you might say, okay, he 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 influenced the R and B of today, um, uh, soul music of the seventies. He was he was a pioneer of. But one genre that you might not think of that was really influenced by him was reggae. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, you know, when you think of reggae, uh, you know, many of us, we think of Bob Marley. Okay. And Bob Marley was a gigantic Curtis Mayfield fan and loved the impressions. And he even recorded his own version of People Get Ready. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, the, I believe all were influenced by Curtis Mayfield. You know the harmonizing and the, and and the way that the way it sounded. It, you know you could hear it in the music, especially the early stuff, you know, early reggae stuff. And uh, but he also influenced what was going on in the in the sixties in England. Okay, the the you know the British R and B scene. Uh, Jeff Beck was a was a huge fan. And, you know, years later, he would do People Get Ready with, with Rod Stewart in the 80s. He would do a version of that, which we talked about not too long ago. Um, so, 
you know, his his influence transcended different genres. And uh, you're right. When you listen to a Curtis Mayfield record, you go, God, I know this song. Or I know that song. You know what I mean? It's like it really it really shows, you know, how far he went, you know. Wow. He he really was a pioneer all to himself. Hello? Yeah. Yes. Hello? He was a pioneer all to himself. Like he was a pioneer. Like he wrote his music, he mm-hmm. put what he wanted. And he was a political guy that wrote a lot of political songs that people really yeah. didn't get yeah. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's what I got for you today, Mr. Rossi. Mike, another great episode of the Rock Show. This is episode one one eight and it's all about the great the 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 you know what it was uh it was a long life and a tragic life of uh Curtis Mayfield, a great a great American musician. Yes, definitely. I hope that biopic comes out. I hope they do it justice. I never heard of that, but I hope it does come out. I hope they get good actors because you could do a hell of a film. Definitely, definitely. So next week we've got uh, uh, a guest coming on. Okay, uh, I believe Feo is coming on for the next two weeks as we talk about the history of oi music, which is punk rock, but it's like a working class genre, you know, subgenre of punk yeah. rock. We're going to talk about the early skinhead scene which you know when you say skinhead you get a a different idea it was not racist it was not you know anything like that you hear today the the early skinhead scene was based around radio music and r&b and and then you know later on the working class skinheads of the punk scene okay with with oi music bands like sham 69 uh the business um coxbara Okay, uh, stuff like that. Great music. Um, and then the following week after that, we're going to talk about the Slits, the female British punk band that were very groundbreaking. And uh, Faye was very knowledgeable on both subjects. So we're going to give him the floor a little bit. And it'd be good. Right. If you remember Faye last year, he did, a, or 2019, I should say, he did a great show with us about the Velvet Underground. So uh, we're going to bring bring him back for college. Sounds good, right? Yeah, sounds good. So like everything else, guys, remember to get get lumped up. Get lumped up. See you next week. The only podcast you will hear Get lumped up on the rock show.